Welcome to the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. This podcast will be a sharing of part of my morning routine as I prepare for the day with the Word of God. We will be partaking of Puritan prayers from the Valley of Vision, each day's morning devotional from Charles Haddon Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, and we'll be reading from the Legacy Standard Bible, which is the newest and, I believe, the most accurate translation of the Word of God. We will be following a Bible reading calendar that provides for reading the whole Bible in a year that was created by Minister Robert Murray McShane for his congregation back in 1842, and that has been a part of my daily reading for over six years now. Good morning and welcome to the morning segment of the Wednesday, February 8th episode. That would be episode 161 of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I am Wayne Floyd, your host. The Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a humble member of the uh, Christian podcast community. You can find those podcasts over at podcasts.strivingpodcasts, with an S, dot strivingforeternity.org. I would definitely recommend you go over there. There are um, many, many, many wonderful podcasts, men and, wi- men and women, brothers and sisters in Christ over there um, doing very good work for the kingdom, and it's definitely worth, worth your time. And I say that being clear that I there are a number of, a number of podcasts over there that I listen to. Um, it just it's definitely worth your time. I would definitely encourage you. Um, I also want to remind you that um, there's a link at the bottom of our show notes. Um, that is the link to the Vail Valley Baptist Church Give, Sin, Go campaign. Uh, we are striving to rapidly pay off our mortgage so we could shift gears and we can commence the establishment of a Christian classically classical education-based school to provide an alternative for the parents and grandparents in our community, um, an alternative for their um, where their children can be educated. Um, so... You know, go ahead and click on the link. You can go read about it. And then we would ask three things of you. We'd ask you to pray for us. We'd ask you to prayerfully consider giving. And we'd ask you to pass it along. Um, pass the link along so others can also review it and, and evaluate it themselves. All right. Well, we're going to go ahead and we're going to go straight on into our reading today. It's kind of a strange day. I'm used to reading more in Exodus than we're going to be doing today, but such is life. Um, you know, it is what it is for this reading plan. But with it being Wednesday, we're going to go ahead and open up with the fourth day morning prayer. It's called True Christianity. Let's pray. Lord of heaven, thy goodness is inexpressible and inconceivable. In the works of creation, thou art almighty. In the dispensations of providence, all wise. In the gospel of grace, all love. And in thy Son thou hast provided for our deliverance from the effects of sin, the justification of our persons, the sanctification of our natures, the perseverance of our souls in the path of life. Though exposed to the terrors of thy law, we have a refuge from the storm. Though compelled to cry unclean, we have a fountain for sin. Though creature cells of emptiness, we have a fullness accessible to all and incapable of reduction. Grant us always to know that to walk with Jesus makes other interests a shadow and a dream. Keep us from intermittent attention to eternal things. Save us from the delusion of those who fail to go far in religion, who are concerned but not converted, who have another heart but not a new one, who have light, zeal, confidence but not Christ. Let us judge our Christianity not only by our dependence upon Jesus, but by our love to him, our conformity to him, our knowledge of him. 
Give us a religion that is both real and progressive, that holds on its way and grows stronger, that lives and works in the spirit, that profits by every correction and is injured by no carnal indulgence. Amen. All right. Now our morning devotion for, uh, let's see, for February 8th, it is, the text for it is Matthew one twenty one. Thou shalt call his name Jesus. When a person is dear, everything connected with him becomes a becomes dear for his sake. Thus so precious is the person of the Lord Jesus in the estimation of all true believers, that everything about him they consider to be inestimable, be inestimable beyond all price. All thy garments smell of myrrh and aloes and cassia, said David, as if the very vestments of the Savior were so sweetened by his person that he could not but love them. Certain it is that there is not a spot where that hallowed foot hath trodden. There is not a word which those blessed lips have uttered, nor a thought which, is, which his loving word has revealed, which is not to us precious beyond all price. And this is true of the names of Christ. They are all sweet in the believer's ear. Whether he be called the husband of the church, her bridegroom, her friend, whether he be styled the lamb slain from the foundation of the world, the king, the prophet, or the priest, every title of our master, Shiloh, Emmanuel, Wonderful, the Mighty Counselor. Every name is like the honeycomb dropping with honey, and luscious are the drops that distill from it. But if there be one name sweeter than another in the believer's ears, it is the name of Jesus. Jesus. It is the name which moves the harps of heaven to melody. Jesus. The life of all joys. If there be one name more charming, more precious than another, it is this name. It is woven into the very warp and woof of our psalmody. Many of our hymns begin with it, and scarcely any that are good for anything end without it. It is the sum total of all delights. It is the music with which the bells of heaven ring, a song in a word, an ocean of comprehension, although a drop of for brevity, a matchless oratorio in two syllables, a gathering up of the hallelujahs of eternity in five letters. Jesus, I love thy charming name. Tis music to mine ear. All right, now we're going to get into our reading. Uh, we're going to read Exodus 28, and then we'll go straight on into <coughs> Matthew, Psalms, and Proverbs. So Exodus 28, hear the word of the Lord. Now as for you, bring near to yourself Aaron your brother and his sons with him from among the sons of Israel to minister as priests to me, Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar, Aaron's sons. You shall make holy garments for Aaron your brother, for glory and for beauty. You shall speak to all those wise at heart, whom I have filled with the spirit of wisdom, that they make Aaron's garments to set him apart as holy, in order for him to minister as priest to me. These are the garments which they shall make, a breastpiece and an ephod, and a robe, and a tunic of checkered work, a turban and a sash, and they shall make holy garments for Aaron your brother and his sons in order for him to minister as priest to me. They shall take the gold and the blue and the purple and the scarlet material and the fine linen. They shall also make the ephod of gold, of blue and purple and scarlet material and fine twisted linen, the work of the skillful designer. It shall have two shoulder pieces joined to its two ends, that it may be joined. The skillfully woven band which is on it shall be like its workmanship of the same material, of gold, of blue and purple and scarlet material, and fine twisted linen. 
You shall take two onyx stones and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel, six of their names on the one stone and the names of the remaining six on the second stone, according to their birth. As a jeweler engraves a signet, you shall engrave the two stones according to the names of the sons of Israel. You shall set them all around in filigree settings of gold. You shall put the two stones on the shoulder pieces of the ephod as stones of remembrance for the sons of Israel. And Aaron shall bear their names before Yahweh on his two shoulders for remembrance. You shall make filigree settings, sorry, you shall make filigree settings of gold and two chains of pure gold. You shall make them a twisted work of cords and you shall put the chains of cords on the filigree settings. You shall make a breastpiece of judgment, the work of a skillful designer, like the work of the ephod, you shall make it of gold, of blue and purple and scarlet material, and fine twisted linen you shall make it. It shall be square, having been folded double, a span in length and a span in width. You shall mount on it four rows of stones. The first row shall be a row of ruby, topaz, and emerald, and the second row a turquoise, a sapphire, and a diamond, and the third row a hyacinth, an agate, and an amethyst, and the fourth row a beryl and an onyx and a jasper. They shall be set in gold settings. The stones shall be according to the names of the sons of Israel, twelve according to their names. They shall be like the engravings of a signet, each according to his name for the twelve tribes. You shall make on the breastpiece chains of a twisted work of cords and pure gold. You shall make on the breastpiece two rings of gold, and you shall put the two rings on the two ends of the breastpiece. You shall put the two cords of gold on the two rings at the ends of the breastpiece. You shall put the two ends of the two cords on the two filigree setting, and you shall put them on the shoulder pieces of the ephod at the front of it. You shall make two rings of gold, and shall place them on the two ends of the breastpiece, on the edge of it which is toward the inner side of the ephod. You shall make two rings of gold, and put them on the bottom of the two shoulder pieces of the ephod, on the front of it close to the place where it is joined, above the skillfully woven band of the ephod. They shall bind the breastpiece by its rings to the rings of the ephod with a blue cord, so that it will be on the skillfully woven band of the ephod, and that the breastpiece will not come loose from the ephod. Aaron shall carry the names of the sons of Israel in the breastpiece of judgment over his heart when he, when he comes into the holy place for a remembrance before Yahweh continually. You shall put in the breastpiece of judgment the Urim and the Thummim, and they shall be over Aaron's heart when he comes in before Yahweh. And Aaron shall carry the judgment of the sons of Israel over his heart before Yahweh continually. You shall make the robe of the ephod entirely of blue. There shall be an opening at its top in the middle of it. Around the edge of its opening there shall be a binding of woven work, like the opening of a coat of mail, so that it will not be torn. You shall make on its hem pomegranates of blue and purple and scarlet material all around on its hem, and bells of gold between them all around, a golden bell and a pomegranate, a golden bell and a pomegranate, all around on the hem of the robe. It shall be on Aaron when he ministers, and, it, and its sound shall be heard when he comes into the holy place before Yahweh, and when he goes out, so that he will not die. You shall also make a plate of pure gold, and shall engrave on it, like the engravings of a signet, holy to Yahweh. You shall fasten it on a blue cord, and it shall be on the turban. It shall be at the front of the turban. It shall be on Aaron's forehead, and Aaron shall take away the iniquity of the holy things, which the sons of Israel set apart as holy, with regard to all their holy gifts. 
and it shall continually be on his forehead, that they may be accepted before Yahweh. You shall weave the tunic of checkered work of fine linen, and you shall make a turban of fine linen, and you shall make a sash the work of a weaver. For Aaron's son you shall make tunics, you shall also make sashes for them, and you shall make caps for them, for glory and for beauty. You shall put them on Aaron, Aaron your brother, and on his sons with him, and you shall anoint them, and ordain them, and set them apart as holy, that they may minister to me as priests. You shall make for them linen undergarments to cover their bare flesh. They shall reach from the loins even to the thighs. They shall be on Aaron and on his sons when they come into the tent of meeting, or when they approach the altar to minister in the holy place, so that they do not incur guilt and die. It shall be a perpetual statute to him and to his seed after him. All right, I need to drink something here. All right, Matthew 25, verses 31 to the end of the chapter, and then 26, verses 1 through 13. <clears throat> but when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne, and all the nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate them from one, them from one another, as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right, and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom which has been prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. Then he will also say to those on the left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they themselves all will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. All right, Matthew 26, verses 1 through 13. Now it happened that when Jesus had finished all these words, he said to his disciples, You know that after two days the Passover is coming, and the Son of Man is to be delivered over for crucifixion. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people were gathered together in the court of the high priest named Caiaphas, and they plotted together to seize Jesus by stealth and kill him. But they were saying, Not during the festival, lest a riot occur among the people. Now when Jesus was in Bethany, at the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very costly perfume, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at the table. But when the disciples saw this, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this perfume might have been sold for a high price, and the money given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you bother the woman? 
for she has done a good work to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. For when she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be spoken of in memory of her. All right. Psalm 31, verses 9 through 18. (coughs) Be gracious to me, O Yahweh, for I am in distress. My eye is wasted away from grief, my soul and my body also. For my life is worn down with sorrow, and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity, and my bones waste away. Among all my adversaries I have become a reproach, especially to my neighbors, and an object of dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street flee from me. I am forgotten like a dead man out of mind. I am like a broken vessel. For I have heard the bad report of many. many. Terror is on every side. While they took counsel together against me, they schemed to take my life. But as for me, I trust in you, O Yahweh. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hand. Deliver me from the hand of my enemies and from those who pursue me. Make your face to shine upon your slave. Save me in your loving kindness. O Yahweh, let me not be put to shame, for I call upon you. Let the wicked be put to shame. Let them be silent and sheol. Let the lying lips be mute, which speak arrogantly against the righteous with lofty pride and contempt. All right, and finally, uh, Proverbs 8, verses 12 and 13. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence and I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of Yahweh is to hate evil, pride and arrogance and the evil way, and the mouth of perverted words I hate. All right. (coughs) Excuse me. Well, that is our reading for today. Um, I hope you go out and you have yourself a wonderful day. I would continue to implore you to do all that you do today for the glory of God. Um, And God willing, I will see you this evening. Let's go ahead and close out with prayer. Uh, The Valley Vision prayer we're going to close out with is called Scriptural Convictions. Scriptural Convictions. Let's pray. O God of love, I approach thee with encouragements derived from thy character. For I am not left to feel after thee in the darkness of my nature, nor to worship thee as the unknown God. I cannot find out thy perfections, but I know thou art good, ready to forgive, plenteous in mercy. Thou hast displayed thy wisdom, power, and goodness in all thy works, and hast revealed thy will in the scripture of truth. Thou hast caused it to be preserved, translated, published, multiplied, so that all men may possess it and find thee in it. Here I see thy greatness and thy grace, thy pity and thy rectitude, thy mercy and thy truth, thy being in men's hearts, though through it thou hast magnified thy name and favored mankind with the gospel. Have mercy on me, for I have ungratefully received thy benefits, little improved my privileges, made light of spiritual things, disregarded thy messages, contended with examples of the good, rebukes of conscience, admonitions of friends, leadings of providence. I deserve that thy kingdom be taken away from me. Lord, I confess my sin with feeling, lamentation, a broken heart, a contrite spirit, self-abhorrence, self-condemnation, self-despair. Give me relief by Jesus, my hope, faith in his name of Savior, forgiveness by his blood, strength by his presence, 
holiness by his spirit. And let me love thee with all my heart. Amen. All right. Again, I hope you have a great day. And like I said, God willing, I will see you this evening. Have a good one. God bless. Welcome to the evening segment of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. Good evening and welcome to the evening segment of the, uh, let's see, what is it, Wednesday, February 8th episode, that's episode 161 of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I continue to be Wayne Floyd, your host. The Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a humble member of the Christian podcast community. You can find our podcast over at podcasts dot striving for eternity dot org. I would definitely encourage you to go over there. Wonderful, wonderful podcasts over there. Lots of great ones. Um, and again, if you get over there and find one you'd rather listen to than, than me, I'm okay with that. Absolutely. Okay. With it. Um, needless to say, I've, I've got a number of them on my listening list. And the only reason I don't have more is because I don't have the time in the day though. I'm working on that. So we'll see. But but anyways, I would definitely encourage you to go over there. I also want to remind you of the link um, at the very bottom of our show notes. It is the link for the Vail Valley Baptist Church Give, Sin, Go campaign. We are striving to rapidly pay off our mortgage so that we can commence work on establishing a Christian classic education-based school to provide an alternative for our community, um, for our for our parents and grandparents to be able to get children in and get them properly educated. Um, so again, I would click the link, go take a look and read. Um, but then we would ask three things of you. We would ask that you pray for us as we take on this endeavor. We would ask that you prayerfully consider giving. And finally, we would ask that you pass the link along to others that you know, to those that you know, um, so that more people can evaluate this and make that decision for themselves. All right. Well, with all that said, let's go ahead and get started so we can get on into our study of our continuing study of John. We're going to be going on and, and we've moved on this evening. We, we actually made it. God was willing and we made it. And we're going to be starting in John six this this evening. So let's go ahead. We're going to open up with the fourth day evening prayer. It's called or, I'm sorry. Excuse me. We're going to close with that one. Wow. Wrong tab. OK, here we go. We're going to be opening with a prayer from Valley of Vision, like we usually do. This one is called the Mediator. Let's pray. <clears throat> Everlasting Creator, Father, I have destroyed myself. My nature is defiled. The powers of my soul are degraded. I am vile, miserable, strengthless, but my hope is in Thee. If ever I am saved, it will be by goodness undeserved and astonishing. Not by mercy alone, but by abundant mercy. <clears throat> not by grace, but by exceeding riches of grace. And such thou hast revealed, promised, exemplified, in thoughts of peace, not of evil. Thou hast devised means to rescue me from sin's perdition, to restore me to happiness, honor, safety. I bless thee for the everlasting covenant, for the appointment of a mediator. I rejoice that he failed not, nor was discouraged, but accomplished the work thou gavest him to do and said on the cross, It is finished. I exult in the thought that thy justice is satisfied, thy truth established, thy law magnified, and a foundation is laid for my hope. I look to a present impersonal interest in Christ and say, <clears throat> Surely he has borne my griefs, carried my sorrows, won my peace, 
healed my soul, justified by his blood, I am saved by his life. Glorifying in his cross, I bow to his scepter. Having his spirit, I possess his mind. Lord, grant that my religion may not be occasional and partial, but universal, influential, effective, and may I always continue in thy words as well as thy works, so that I may reach my end in peace. Amen. <coughs> Sorry. All right. And our evening devotion for, let's see, what is that? For February 8th, um, the text is Matthew one twenty one. He shall save his people from their sins. Many persons, if they are asked what they understand by salvation, will reply, being saved from hell and taken to heaven. This is one result of salvation, but it is not one tithe of what is contained in that boon. It is true, our Lord Jesus Christ does redeem all his people from the wrath to come. He saves them from the fearful condemnation which their sins had brought upon them. But his triumph is far more complete than this. He saves his people from their sins. Oh, sweet deliverance for our worst foes. Where Christ works a saving work, he casts Satan from his throne and will not let, <clears throat> let him be master any longer. No man is a true Christian if sin reigns in his mortal body. Sin will be in us. It will never be utterly expelled till the Spirit enters glory, but it will never have dominion. There will be a striving for dominion, a lusting against the new law and the new spirit which God has implanted. But sin will never get the upper hand, so as to be absolute monarch of our nature. Christ will be master of the heart, and sin must be mortified. The lion of the tribe of Judah shall prevail, and the dragon shall be cast out. Professor, is sin subdued in you? If your life is unholy, your heart is unchanged, and if your heart is unchanged, you are an unsaved person. If the Savior has not sanctified you, renewed you, given you a hatred of sin and a love of holiness, he has done nothing in you of a saving character. The grace which does not make a man better than others is a worthless counterfeit. Christ saves his people, not in their sins, but from them. Without holiness no man shall see the Lord. Let every one that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. If not saved from sin, how shall we hope to be counted among his people? Lord, save me now from all evil, and enable me to honor my Savior. All right. Well, like I said, we are going to be continuing on in our study of John. And we have finally made it into John chapter 6. Um, I know we've been working along at this, um, but honestly, it feels like it's come up really, really rapidly, um, especially considering the amount of work I'm trying to do to prepare beyond this. Um, <clears throat> hang on a second. I'm going to get a drink of water. All right. So, like I said, we're moving into John chapter 6. And, you know, we've seen Jesus. We saw in chapter 5, we, we saw Jesus heal the lame man at the pool of Bethesda. And then we saw him commence on a long discourse. You know, like I told you, it was like, a impromptu, um, like an impromptu trial. Um, the, the, the Jews, the Jewish leadership, were wanting to persecute him. And so he mounted a defense. And we saw him commence that long discourse, 
showing who he is through showing his equality with God. Um, he showed his mandate and power to accomplish both the spiritual and physical resurrection. And then he called a number of witnesses, which climaxed in the witness of the scripture itself. And, and it actually brought about some rebukes of the Jewish leadership, making clear to them that they, they, what they claimed to believe who they claimed um, to be led by um, Moses and them would convict them themselves because what they claimed was not true. Well, when we, we now are in chapter six and chapter six has this same kind of structure. We're going to first see Jesus perform a miracle and then we'll see his discourse showing that he is the bread of life. We will see this. Um, and, and what we're dealing with here is right here at the beginning of chapter six is the feeding of the 5,000. And that's going to lead into him speaking of himself as the bread of life. Um, like, like he talked about, um, in chapter four with the Samaritan woman about, um, the fountain of law or the, the, the water of life and the, and the fountain of eternal life and all of that and springing up to, to a fountain and all of that. Um, he's going to start speaking of the bread of life. Um, and we're going to see how the one builds into the other and how it actually, unfortunately, um, reveals many, 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 many false disciples. Um, but that's what it needed to do. It needed to, you know, root out the tares. Um, so like I said, this is the feeding of the 5,000 and we're going to break, break this next section up, um, verses like one through 15. We're going to break this up into four, God willing, four different little messages here. We're going to do four different sections. And so the, but the feeding of the 5,000, this is the fourth miracle that John the apostle documents in his goal of showing us that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that believing we would have life in his name as we've continued to see John 20 verse 31, which is the purpose of this gospel. So like I said, I'm going to break down these 15 verses into the four, four, into the four segments that John MacArthur breaks them down into within his commentary. Um, it, it, honestly, it was just easier for me to do it that way. Um, and it fit the notes I had. I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to groom what I, what I came out of from my study into what John MacArthur did. I, this was what I was seeing as well. So um, honestly, he's better at alliteration and sometimes it's fun to use alliteration because I am not good at alliteration. So what we're going to deal with tonight, the section we're going to deal with this evening is verses one through four, and it's the fickle crowd. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to re read you the entirety of the text we're going to cover in the next four evenings. So I'm starting in John six, verse one and reading through verse 15. So hear the word of the Lord. After these things, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, or Tiberias. Now a large crowd was following him because they were seeing the signs which he was doing on those who were sick. Then Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he was sitting down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was near. Therefore Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing that a large crowd was coming to him, said to Philip, Where should we buy bread so that these people may eat? And this he was saying to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, for everyone to receive a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are these for so many people? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. 
Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, in number about five thousand. Jesus then took the loaves, and having given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, likewise also of the fish as much as they wanted. And when they were filled, he said to his disciples, Gather up the leftover pieces so that nothing will be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Therefore when the people saw the sign which he had done, they were saying, This is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. So Jesus, knowing that they were going to come and take him by force to make him king, withdrew again to the mountain by himself alone. So, like I said, we're going to start out with the first four verses. We're going to start out with these first four four verses. And what we're going to be seeing here is we're going to see how fickle this crowd is. We're going to see the fickle crowd and how fickle this crowd of people is. And believe me, that theme, the fickleness of this crowd, and, and honestly, the unbelief of this crowd is going to manifest throughout this chapter. So, so you want to keep an eye on this. So <clears throat> what we see as, as we open this, this chapter, first three words in, in um, verse one, after these things. So this is not an indication that the events of John 6 are happening immediately after the events of John 5. It's simply an indication that the events of chapter 6 are happening sometime after chapter 5. Now, of course, sometime could be anywhere from two weeks to, you know, five years. But honestly, we can narrow this down a little bit by what we see in verse 4. Now, the pa- verse 4 says, now the Passover, the feast of the Jews was near. That tells us one of two things. Remember, in chapter 5, verse 1, it said, After these things there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. So, if that feast in verse 5 was the Feast of Tabernacles, and then this is the pass, the Passover, the Feast of the Jews was near, then about six months have passed since the events of chapter 5. If the feast indicated in chapter 5, verse 1, is the Feast of Passover, then it's been a year since the events in chapter 5. Now, either way, some time has passed, and Jesus and his disciples have been busy. If you do any kind of, or are able to look up any kind of a synchronization of the Gospels, what you will find is what has occurred between chapter 5 and chapter 6. You can go, you would basically find basically Matthew 5 through parts of Matthew 8 and parts of Matthew 9 and 12. You'd find Mark 3 verses 7 through chapter 6 verse 30. And you'd find Luke chapter 6 verse 12 through chapter 9 verses 9 verse 10. So just calling out those numbers, that's a lot of stuff going on. You have Jesus going out and preaching. You have the disciples going out and preaching. You have healings going on from all of them, demon possession, um, demons being run out, you, you name it. All of that has been going on in the in this period between what happens in chapter 5 and what happens in chapter 6. Now, of course, John doesn't indicate that. Like, like we've said, <coughs> the Gospel of John has been written to... Um, to um, fill out the synoptic gospels. So, you know, it's talking about specific things around them. But what I also want to point out here um, in the feeding of the 5,000, well, okay, so 
with all those things, let me let me see this first. With all those all those things having happened between um, John five and John six, Jesus' fame and the fame of the disciples is growing in Israel, which might explain the size of the crowd, and we'll discuss that in the next few evenings. But that might explain the size of the crowd that his fame is growing and growing. This isn't some guy that's just wandered around Galilee, you know, and done a little bit here and there. This is a guy whose fame is skyrocketing. You know, um, this is, this is a guy who, uh, turned around and posted a video on YouTube and it already has, you know, 200 million views, you know, kind of thing within 24 hours. This is that fame, that fame has exploded. Um, and again, what we kind of want to know just, just as a piece is the feeding of the 5,000, just, this is just some factoids. The feeding of the 5,000 is the only, if I remember correctly, it is the only miracle that is recorded in our, all four gospels. This is recorded in all four gospels. And you're going to see that as, as, as I'm going to move back and forth a little bit <clears throat> through some of the verses to kind of flesh out and tell you what's going on. And that's going to continue through the rest of John chapter six, because it gives us all a better idea of everything that's going on. It, it gives us a fuller picture. <clears throat> but what we also see as this miracle occurs on the east side of the Sea of Galilee, um, as we saw in verse 1, after these things, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, or Tiberias. So again, um, <clears throat> the sea has a number of uh, ha has had a number of different names, or is called a number of different things. Um, in Numbers and Joshua, it's called the Sea of Chinnereth. Um, in Joshua, it's called Chinneroth. And in Luke, it's called Genesaret. Um and the Tiberius name, which was a new one at this time, a new one in the first century, had been called the Sea of Galilee because Galilee is what's wrapped around it. The land of Galilee is wrapped around it. <clears throat> but we see it called Tiberius because there was the new town Tiberius that's on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee. It was a new town, new city built, and it had been founded by Herod Antipas, and it was in honor of the emperor Tiberius. Now, tell you a little factoid about nowadays, or at least when I was there in the nineties, um, that town is, or that city is very well known, um, for its diamond markets and it's, and it's diamond processing centers, um, for cutting and polishing and all that stuff. <clears throat> at least it is now. I don't think it was then, but again, like I said, it was a new town, um, called Tiberius or new city. And, you know, with Herod Antipas pushing that, it would kind of become the major city on the lake. Thus people starting to ref refer to it as the sea of Tiberias. So we'll see that, but where we've gone to at this up on the, it's on the Northeast shore of the sea of Galilee <clears throat> and this Northeast shore of the sea of Galilee. If, if you're sitting there going, okay, well, what does that mean? Well, in our, in our time, this is the Golan Heights, um, major battle there, um, between, um, Israel and Syria. Um, and I forget if it was in the seven days war or the war in 73, I don't remember. Um, there's one in 67 and one in 73, if I remember right. So it's in one of those big, big fighting there. Um, but the Golan Heights, that's the thing you look across the Golan Heights, um, has been battled back and forth over. And then we see verse three, then Jesus went up on the mountain and there he was sitting down with his disciples. 
So it looks as if Jesus and the disciples are heading over here to try to take a break and regroup from all the ministry work they have been doing. Uh, no, it doesn't specifically say that, but you got to think of all the work they've been doing in the last either six months or a year. Put it this way, I, I would hope it's a year because if they tried to do all the things that are alliterated, like I said, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, I would hope they had a year to do all that in and not six months because <laughs> that would have been rough. But so they 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 pull off here. I mean, they got in a boat and they and they if I remember right, yeah, they got in a boat and sailed over there um, from the other gospels. It's, it indicates that not here in John. And they sailed over there to find time. But if we look in the other gospels and we'll talk about that. Um, oh, here we go. Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. It's going to come up right now. So um, they've gone over here to try to get away, but it doesn't happen. And you're, you're going to see this here from the other gospels. So what we see coming is a large crowd, verse 2. Now a large crowd was following him because they were seeing the signs which he was doing on those who were sick. Many commentators speculate, and I don't mean this in a negative, negative way on why such a large crowd, large crowd had assembled. There's the thought that as Jesus and the disciples headed towards this spot, Jesus continued to heal along the way. So, you know, as people were healed, they joined the crowd and it built and built and built and they continued to follow because, hey, he's healing, healing people. Maybe he'll do more. Um, Matthew 14, verse 13, uh, uh, parallel passage. Now, when Jesus heard about John, that was hearing about, um, <clears throat> if I understand correctly, this is the hearing about John the Baptist being put to death. He withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. And when the crowds hear of this, they followed him on foot from the cities. So parallel passage withdrew in a boat. Like I said, the crowds hear of this and they follow him on foot from the cities. Mark six thirty three, and the people saw them going and many, many recognized them and ran there together on foot from all the cities and got there ahead of them. So when they went to land on the beach, there was already a crowd there, but what sticks out to me is the indication by John the Apostle that the large crowd was following him because they were seeing the signs which he was doing on those who were sick. And it could be really easy, and I, and I know I say this a good bit, but it's really, really easy, and I say this because I do it, to blow right by this. But we can't. This is kind of the key part of this passage. We see the same crowd do the following in verses 14 and 15. Therefore, when the people saw the sign which he had done, they were saying, this is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. So Jesus, knowing that they were going to come and take him by force to make him king, withdrew again to the mountain by himself alone. This crowd was more interested in what Jesus could do in the temporal world for them, not in the spiritual. So they were completely missing the point. Um, <clears throat> yes, he, Jesus cared about them and he wanted them to be well. But the miracles were to make clear that he was the Christ, the son of God, that he was their way to salvation so that they would believe in him. And we, we even see Jesus speak of this same crowd in, in chapter six, in this chapter, verses 26 and 27. And believe me, when we get in there, it's like I said, you got to remember this fickle crowd. And he says to them, so Jesus answered and said, truly, truly, again, truly, 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 I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled, meaning they wanted him to give them more food. 
Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him the Father God set his seal. Again, it's very clear that these folks are following him, and this is that same crowd. These folks are following him for what he can do for their physical life, not for their eternal soul. Like it said here, verse 2, Now a large crowd was following him because they were seeing the signs which he was doing on those who were sick. They wanted to see more signs. It was the same thing as we saw at the end of um, John 2, verses 23 through 25, where we see there that he he didn't trust them. You know, they were they were believing in him, or so it said, but the believing there is they believed this was really, really cool and probably a prophet of God, and he's doing some pretty cool miracles. But they weren't believing he was the Christ, the Son of God. They were completely missing it. And, and Jesus makes clear, I he knows that. He knows that they're like that. Um, but that's the thing. This crowd is that same way. Um, actually, one commentator indicated that these folks here, up here in Galilee, these are the Galilean counterparts of the Judean false believers described in John John two twenty three through twenty five that I just mentioned. And, and again, and and I'll I'll go ahead and read it to you real quick. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw his signs, which he was doing. Again, this was not true belief, but Jesus on his part was not entrusting himself to them for he knew all men. And because he had no need that anyone bear witness concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. As R.C. Sproul says of this crowd, they were looking for the kingdom of man. He came to bring the kingdom of God. It was his mission to provide his people with so much more than bread and fishes, which is what he's going to end up doing. Now, he speaks that about and when we get to them in verses 26 and 27, but it applies to the same crowd. They're looking for the kingdom of man. They're looking for him to provide for them. Think of these people as me and you hunting for the best price on groceries during the, this horrific inflation we're dealing with. We go app to app on our phones and tablets and add to add looking for the lowest price on stuff. Or we go to the big box stores like Costco to buy in bulk to get a better price, even though we don't need three years worth of peanut butter. We hunt for what best assists us in our temporal life. Now, I'm not saying this is bad or wrong, but this was not what Jesus was here for. This is not what he humbled himself to a point of being lower than the angels and to the point of facing the most horrific execution meant for the lowest of the low to provide for our salvation. These folks wanted, as R.C. Sproul stated, a chicken in every pot or a loaf and a fish in every lunch. And they figured Jesus could give them that. This is the fickle crowd. So we sit there and go, okay, that's that's an interesting historical, you know, treatise that I've given over the last 20 some minutes. But how does that apply to us? Well, if we're honest with ourselves, way too often we're the same way as this crowd. We want someone to make everything easier on us. I mean, that that's what they're looking for here. Somebody to make their lives easier. And don't get me wrong. Life in first century Palestine for these people, it was not easy. I mean, as much as we may think our lives are tough, I'll guarantee you theirs was probably tougher. They want somebody to make everything easier on them. Like we do. 
And the church has told us that Jesus is the answer to all your problems. And just ask and he will make you healthy and wealthy like Prosperity Gospel does. Um, that he is the genie in the bottle and all we have to do is ask. All we got to do is rub Jesus the right way and we get our met, we get our wishes. But that's not why he's here. Neither in the time of Jesus' earthly ministry nor in our time. He came to live a perfectly sinless life, to be scourged and beaten for our sins, to be crucified on the cross, to face God's wrath and pay the debt for our sins that, so that when we are brought to a saving faith in Christ, we can be clothed in his righteousness and stand holy and blameless before a just God. He came to bring the gospel, the good news to us and, and to this fickle crowd. And we've got to strive daily to not be like this fickle crowd and only go to Jesus when we need something. The fact is, it, 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 I've heard any number of pastors say this, and they're absolutely correct. The fact is, when things are going good, our prayer life suffers because we feel like we got everything under control and we don't need Jesus. Well, honestly, that's when we need him the most. That's when we need the Holy Spirit working in us the most, because that's when we get the most prideful about us taking care of ourselves and feeling like we've got everything under control. Well, at least in the case of this, this group, they knew they needed help from somebody, but they wanted the temporal help. And in a lot of cases, that's what we want. I'm sorry. The fact is with most of us in our prayer life, when we pray, we go into genie mode. You know, and, and I understand why, I mean, don't get me, don't get me wrong. We've just had to have, um, cancer surgery done on one of our dogs. So don't, don't, don't get me wrong. Part of my prayer life during this has been praying for that dog. I mean, it's a dog. I mean, I love it dearly. Don't get me wrong. And this dog has been in this house since the day she was born. She was born right here and I love her to death. She is my baby, but if that is all my prayer life is, is please take care of my dog and let her live or, you know, those kind of things or, uh, you know, please let, please let our bills be okay. Let us be able to pay our bills or please make sure that, that this goes okay. Or I pass this test or I do okay in this or that. If that's all we're praying for, we're looking for the temporal. We're just like this fickle crowd that we want Jesus to come and take care of our temporal needs. And we ignore the rotting black soul that is at the core of us and that is thrashing our Christian walk. Our spiritual life is so much more important. It is. And we just, we, we don't get it. We don't at all. Um, I'm sorry. I'm looking something up real quick that I should have pulled up, but I didn't really think about it. Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is very, very clear. This is in the anxiety section of Matthew 6. And the fact is, this, this should tell it to us more than anything else and point to us why we should not be this fickle crowd. Matthew 6, verse 25. For this reason I say to you, 
Do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air that they do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you by being worried can add a single cubit to his lifespan? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? You have little faith. Do not worry then saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? For all these things the Gentiles eagerly seek. Now you, you could replace that with the fickle crowd. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. The fickle crowd needed to know that. We need to know that. We've got to seek his kingdom first. We've got to be looking for the right thing from Christ, which is what he came for. It's what the Bible says he came for, not what we want it to be. He is not our genie. He is not the freebie vending machine for whatever we want. He brought the gospel. He brought the good news. And he provided for our salvation. And that's what we've got to be focused on so that we don't look like this fickle crowd. All right. Let's go ahead and close out for today. We're going to go ahead and do so with the fourth day evening prayer. It's called God All Sufficient. King of glory, divine majesty. Every perfection adorns thy nature and sustains thy throne. The heavens and earth are thine. The world is thine and its fullness. Thy power created the universe from nothing. Thy wisdom has managed all its multiple concerns, presiding over nations, families, individuals. Thy goodness is boundless. All creatures wait on thee, are supplied by thee, are satisfied in thee. How precious are the thoughts of thy mercy and grace. How excellent thy loving kindness that draws men to thee. Teach us to place our happiness in thee, the blessed God, never seeking life among the dead things of earth, or asking for that which satisfies the deluded. But may we prize the light of thy smile, implore the joy of thy salvation, find our heaven in thee. Thou hast attended to our happiness more than we can do. Though we are fallen creatures, thou hast not neglected us. In love and pity, thou hast provided us a Savior. Apply his redemption to our hearts by justifying our persons and sanctifying our natures. We confess our transgressions, have mercy on us. We are weary, give us rest. Ignorant, make us wise unto salvation. Helpless, let thy strength be made perfect in our weakness. Poor and needy, bless us with Christ's unsearchable riches. Perplexed and tempted, let us travel on, unchecked, undismayed, knowing that thou hast said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Blessed be thy name. Amen. All right. Well, thank you for spending this time with me. I hope you have a wonderful night. And God willing, I will see you tomorrow morning. Have a good night. God bless. Music.